We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. To be honest, I would put myself in the same category as D-Wade. Now Artest is jumped over the scorer's table. Artest is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, March 25th. Nick Whalen back with Alex Barutha. As you can probably tell already from the alarmingly bad sound quality, uh, I'm coming to you from my living room. Alex, uh, I, I don't know where exactly in your apartment you are. Uh, I assume it's the same spot as last week. Yeah, I actually haven't left this spot in uh, 20 days. 20 days. I find that fairly believable. I mean, they, I think you were up to like, what, six straight days without actually leaving the apartment this time last week. Uh, 20 is an exaggeration, but yeah, I, I, I had to break the, the quarantine to go to the grocery store the other day. Um, so I know, I know. Wow. Um, yeah. So as of today, we were officially yesterday, officially on lockdown. I know they, they've kind of shied away from using that term. Um, but we were, we were kind of on like a pre lockdown prior to that. Uh, but now the, the Rotowire office is officially closed, uh, much like the gym in Coach Carter. They've thrown a giant lock on it. Um, I talked to talk to some people about maybe getting in there to record a pod, but but ultimately was discouraged, at least uh, for the time being, from doing that. But I'm, I'm hoping we can kind of sneak in there uh, just you know for an hour a couple of times a week over these next few weeks just to, to maintain the audio quality. But for now, the, the Roto office is, is officially shut down. Um, 
yesterday was probably the longest day of my life. I won three consecutive titles on NBA 2K15. Jabari Parker is now a 91 overall. Greg Monroe is coming off of his second team All-NBA selection. I uh, watched a lot of that Tiger King documentary, getting back into Mad Men. Um, so it was a long day, but but nonetheless, a, a pretty productive day. Jabari Parker, I mean, if we're in real life, Jabari Parker would have been a 91 overall if he not gotten injured. So I actually think, you know, well, it would have been fantastic. Yeah, yeah not, not that uh, crazy. You, you asked me last week about guys who just get way too good on that game who shouldn't. And at the time, I wasn't far enough into the franchise mode to really find out. But yeah, it's been Jabari. Wiggins is like an 88. Um, it's just, it's you know, strange to kind of look back and, and see that kind of optimism. Joel Embiid is only like a 78, but he's untradeable. He must have a really high potential rating. I'm not really sure what the story is behind that. Um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of how my life has been the last couple of days. I'm, I'm living vicariously through an NBA video game that came out six years ago. Oh, man. Uh, you got you to gotta do what you got to do, I guess. Um, you said... Well, you had traded. Uh, you 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 did or did not make Kawhi Leonard ninety nine overall. I mean, did that help you? Is Jabari on your team? Jabari's not on my team. He's progressing okay. without me. You know, because on that game, it gets a little unrealistic pretty fast. Like, if you win a title, you get all these like points that you can put towards player development, and like yeah. your players get really good really fast. It's it's a little and even for me, like I'm like the most unrealistic style of video game player ever. And it, it even for me, it's a little much. But I ended up trading Kawhi. He's on the Pistons. Um, got Clay Thompson and he, I think he averaged like 23, three point attempts per game this past season. So we're playing a, a running gun style. Uh, I'm the Lakers <laughs> of course. Um, so it's been a lot of fun, but yeah, these, these, these next couple months or at least the next few weeks are, are going to be long. Uh, what, what have you been doing the last like 48 hours? Uh, man, uh, it's mostly just been video games. I'm getting, but the problem is I'm getting bored of, of the games that I have. And so I need to, I, I don't know if I need to just buy more, um, I, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's mostly just been that. And I, I should probably, I should probably switch to watching more like Netflix, Hulu, stuff like that, just to get some sort of, you know, change up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't recommend that Tiger King documentary anymore. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard about that on other podcasts. It, it seems like that one's kind of becoming the new like Firefest thing where everybody just feels like they have to watch it over a two-week span um Wiz Khalifa and Tyga dropped a new song yesterday um so that was like a straight out of like 2009 flashback like I was already having trouble keeping track of the days and then you see that and it's like what what year is it even um before our meeting this morning we had we had a great like six-minute meeting over zoom with with everybody um I shut down oldnavy.com dropped like 38 bucks Bought like five things for $38 on oldnavy.com. Everything 50% off, free shipping. Um, so that was kind of the big event of today so far. I've gotten to the point where I'm actually like worried to order things. Like I'm not sure whether these places are like following proper protocols. Like did someone cough on this? Like I, I know it's it's like unavoidable, right. but I, well, sorry. I, I'm not saying you're going to, you know. Okay. Well, let me, let me just offer some reassurance. I have imported three separate packages from China over the last few weeks. Um, I got some Toronto Raptors shorts and uh, two separate Giannis Antetokounmpo Cream City jerseys for my girlfriend because the first one uh, <laughs> had a patch on it that was supposed to say Milwaukee Bucks and the the W in Milwaukee was an R for some reason. So there's like this big patch on the bottom that says Milwaukee. 
um so i get they're, they're just like yeah sorry we don't ship it back we'll just send you a new one so i now have two uh child size large um Giannis Antetokounmpo cream city jerseys but the second one shipped in like 10 days and didn't really seem to be affected by any of this at all and i did some extensive research before receiving the package and, and i was told that that the, the virus cannot be transferred via mail okay um i mean that's that's good to hear uh, i didn't want to make sure that you were like hoarding you know that you're asymptomatic and uh that you'll be bringing these jerseys out in public uh you know i just want to make sure that you're following uh lockdown protocols oh of course always so a couple things to get to before we dive into our way 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 too early top 150 for next season i think this is by far the earliest we've ever done this uh but that went up on the site um you know as you're listening to this probably about an hour or two ago um, so this will kind of act as a companion to that. But there was a story uh, on The Athletic that that was written earlier this week, um, went up on Tuesday morning. You know, not exactly a a breakdown from the league itself. You know, I think we're we're probably still a week or two away from getting like any kind of real plans from the NBA. But John Hollinger, uh, who, of course, uh, worked at ESPN in the, the the 2000s and then, you know, went and worked for the Grizzlies for several years. Now he's at The Athletic. He wrote a pretty good breakdown, um, just kind of throwing out some like realistic options for the league uh, in terms of when they could get back and, and what it would actually take and what, what that might look like when the NBA is back. So uh, Hollinger's breakdown kind of included four major tenets. He referred to them as four phases. Um, and I think for the most part, I, I, I agree with, with how he lays it out. Um, you know, he posits that it would have to begin with kind of a what he calls training camp 2.0 period. Which, which of course would mean, you know, probably maybe one or two weeks. Um, the, the timetable he says would be 15 days, you know, at a minimum. Uh, but basically, the point is the NBA is not going to say, all right, we're starting back up on this date, and you don't get to practice until then. You know, of course, there's going to be some sort of warm-up period, um, you know, because a lot of these guys aren't aren't even permitted to practice at team facilities right now, and you know, certain guys have found workarounds, but other guys would be coming in, you would think, relatively cold. So it would it would start with that. Uh, and then Hollinger says, you know, there's, there would probably be a, a quote unquote regular season period, you know, maybe playing up to 70 games for every team, which would be, I think, between like four and seven games uh, for, for everybody. Uh, so that would take, you know, maybe two weeks to get that done. Um, and then he throws out the idea of, of some sort of play in tournament to kind of settle the playoff races that, that ultimately would have been happening, you know, right this time and, and over the next few weeks. Um, I, don't, I don't know that we necessarily need that. I would be totally fine with just playing every, you know, playing it out where every team plays 70 games and then you start the playoffs that following weekend, something like that. Um, but, you know, if, if there is a situation where you want to keep every team engaged and maybe try something that could potentially be on the horizon for the league as something it regularly does, there would be an opportunity to do that this time around. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's good to see, you know, things kind of laid out like this. You know, it gives you an idea of how this could be realistic um, I guess, you know, the idea of a regular season and a play-in tournament is, like, ideal. You know, you don't want to necessarily um, count teams out like New Orleans or whoever else that could make the playoffs. But, um, yeah, I mean, I know I mean, we've heard that the NBA doesn't want to go longer than Labor Day. So, you know, you want enough time to put all these things. Uh, you want You want enough time to execute as much basketball as possible. And this seems to, I think Hollinger's plan basically outlines putting the most basketball possible into a, what seems to be a semi-realistic date. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And so from that perspective, I think I, I think what he outlines is, is pretty good. So he finishes out by saying, you know, the playoffs would likely be four best of five series, which which he says would take a minimum of six weeks to complete and likely closer to 45 days uh, if the finals went the full five games. So, you know, we're talking between basically six and seven weeks at that point. And, and I assume that that would that would assume the the typical rest schedule. You know, we, we talked about this last week. I, I do wonder if the league would be willing to pull back a little bit on something that's been such a major point these last couple of years. But you know, given the situation, would they play, you know, back to backs in the playoffs? Would they would they be willing to speed things up if it means, you know, you're in this time crunch and you have to get everything done by Labor Day? My, my guess is yes. I mean, I, I, by all accounts, I mean, I, I think players and and teams want to finish this season. I don't think there's any anyone out there in basketball, you know, whether they're in it for money reasons, competition reasons, legacy reasons. Nobody nobody should want the season to just end. Uh, so I think we'll see maybe more flexibility from players, flexibility from teams, flexibility from owners uh, in terms of getting this done. But uh, how do you feel about doing, you know, four or five game series as opposed to doing like three, three, seven, seven? You know, d- does it diminish anything at all if you're only playing five games in, in that final round uh, or, in, or in the NBA finals itself? No, I, I like the I like the five game series. Um I understand like wanting, you know, the first couple of rounds to be a three game series. Uh, and I think that would be fine, but I, I feel like that also creates like uh, too much, like too much variance. I don't want like a March madness situation where it could be pretty realistic for a seven to upset a two or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would prefer to avoid that. So I think the best of five uh, kind of, you know, is the best solution, but yeah, I, in terms of like back-to-back playoff games, I mean that, you know, in the NBA that we're used to, in the basketball that we're used to, that seems like com- uh, completely insane. But if teams are willing to, you know, do a back-to-back and then the the day off for rest, mm-hmm. uh, in between, I guess, you know, uh, when you switch who's at home, uh, and then do a back-to-back, and then maybe if it's, you know, maybe if it goes to the fifth game, uh, then you have a a rest day in between you play two and then a break and then two and then a break mm-hmm. and then one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I think a five game series would, would probably make the most sense. Yeah. I, I think that's better than nothing. Of course. I, I do think there would be a push to play seven, um, especially on the part you would imagine of the owners, uh, who, who want to maximize as much lost revenue as they can. I, I think it would be cool to at least play the finals as a seven game series. You know, if you, if you right. could, Go five 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 seven. That'd be great. Or three five five seven to to offset it. I, I think that would be fantastic. Um, it just it just feels right to have to have seven games in the finals, and and I'm still hopeful uh, that we get there at some point. But at least good to see that you know smart people who are connected to the league are already kind of coming up with these solutions. And it you know we like I said we haven't really heard anything definitive from Adam Silver in about a week, but. It, it does. It does certainly seem like the league is is pushing towards finding a solution, which is which is really encouraging. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, the article doesn't really address, and I guess my concern just continues to be like, what if we get, you know, what if we get to the second round of the playoffs, and you know, uh, Jason Tatum tests positive for coronavirus or whatever. Like, what happens if someone gets it in the middle of, you know, in the middle of this playoffs? Right. What do you do? Is it just over then? Do we just like, does Adam Silver walk out of the court and say, thanks everybody, season's over and just like leave? Um, 
Like, I, I don't know, you know, I guess that you cross that bridge when you come to it. And you know, I think a lot of these scenarios that are being laid out are, I mean, obviously they're hypothetical because it's so far away that we don't really know where the country's going to be or the world's going to be by that time. But I guess that's, that's still my main concern is we get, a, we get to a, you know, almost basically a midway point and then mm-hmm. we have to take a step backwards or just shut it down completely. And I guess that's better than nothing. I don't know if re redoing like restarting the playoffs and then getting to like the conference finals and then having to shut things down like after game four finals would almost right. maybe be more painful than never having it at all. <laughs> yeah, it could be. But that, that well, is a good point. Like, that's a good point that I think they would need to quarantine the players to some degree. I think early on, especially, um, yeah, I, I think uh, Hollinger uses the term pipe dream when saying you know, playing these games with fans early in the playoffs. You know, I, I think it would be uh, under under this scenario that he laid out, you know, hypothetically that happens, you, we're, you're playing at least the first two rounds, you would think, with no fans. And, you know, if everything is under control by, you know, mid to late July, you know, then maybe you start reintroducing fans. But I, I think given the level of kind of panic, I guess, for lack of a better term, I, I don't think the league would, will return to playing with fans until it's absolutely... 100% safe. You know, I, I don't think they would ever take that risk. You know, if, if they go to the, the links to restart the season and get everything back on track, I think they would do it with the understanding that, you know, the players have to be quarantined. We have to make sure that if we're restarting this, we're not going to have to stop it at any point. I, I think the league would be responsible to, or responsible enough, I should say, to avoid a scenario where that happens. But, but yeah, it, it begs logistical questions. You know, are teams actually playing these games at their home arenas? Are you clustering certain teams in certain regions and they're all staying at one or two hotels and everything is happening at one arena. You know, those, those are questions that are huge. And, you know, ultimately there are just so many conflicts you have to think about. You know, we, I mean, we talked last week about, you know, there was, there were going to be conflicts for the bucks, even if the season progressed as, as expected, you know, with the DNC, there was going to be a potential like game seven, if it took place in Milwaukee would, would potentially conflict with the, the DNC convention. And, you know, now you're looking ahead to, dates in july and august when you know when, when the schedule makers are and teams and schedule makers are working together you know last last summer last spring to put together the schedule you know everything's fair game after june you know and for a lot of these teams after may you know you're not thinking about who's in your arena in late july or, or who's in your city in early august and now these are you know you're, all the concerts and expos and whatever else might be scheduled there just creates a, a you would imagine a huge nightmare for these teams trying to figure it out I mean, maybe the NBA should just do what the big three is trying to do and just wrangle all these players together into one city. Every game mm-hmm. is played on the same neutral court yep. uh, or a series of neutral courts, and then they all live together in one giant house or one city. You just you just build a wall around like Las Vegas and just have them right. live there with nobody else in there. You create like a glass dome over it. It's a yep. reality show, that sort of a thing. Vegas would be the place, right? Like this totally seems like that could be feasible. I mean, Vegas, by all accounts, is basically like cleared out right now. Anyway, you know, just kind of have it almost act as like summer league. You know, I mean, they get 28 teams in there every every July to make that work. Yeah, you have Thomas and Mac. You have the T-Mobile Arena. Uh, I'm sure there's another arena somewhere in Vegas, but you you have two arenas at least. Yeah, well, there's that one that's attached to Thomas and Mac. You know, there's the main one where there's... you watch summer league games, and there's that kind of side gym, which would be totally fine for these purposes. You know, if you're not playing with fans anyway, I think it, there's almost some advantages to playing in a much smaller arena. I, I think it, like the weirdness and the sight lines of not having fans there would would be reduced. Yeah, I guess we would 
Yeah, let's do it. Let's. Uh, I'll get Adam Silver on the call. We'll make this happen. Okay. Yeah, hit him up. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When you're looking for a credit card, get one that wins awards. The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best of Awards winner for Best 0% Intro APR and Balance Transfer Credit Card. It provides a great way to pay for large purchases over time, as well as consolidating other card balances. And speaking of award winners, the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best Credit Card for Dining Out or Ordering In. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. Get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. If you're into cashback or travel rewards, U.S. Bank has credit cards that feature those benefits, too. Check out their full suite of credit cards at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Let's get to the top 150 for next season. Uh, like I said, that's up on the site right now, so you can go check that out. It's it's not behind the paywall, um, so you know, just trying to... Get as much creative content as we can right now, you know, as we as we don't really have any news. So a couple caveats before we get into the actual list and some guys that that we disagreed on. Uh, the list that you'll see on the on the website is the average of our individual rankings. So we, we each ranked, you know, somewhere between like 150, 160 guys, and you know, just took the average of where those guys fell. For the most part, uh, I, I wouldn't say we were in agreement, but we were in like relative agreement. You know, there, there are very few guys who like I had 10 overall and you had at 85 overall, you know, they're usually in the same tier or within a tier or two of each other. Um, but for some guys who weren't ranked by, by one or the other of us, they were assigned a default value of 160. Uh, so it didn't kill their average. Um, and some of those guys ended up making the final list. Some, some were just left out, but unsurprisingly at the top of the list, James Harden. Um, and I should say we're assuming eight category value um and and we're also you know the way it's written on the website and you know we'll kind of go back and forth as we talk about it but on the website we assume that this season is over so if you're reading and it says james harden finished number one overall last season last season refers to 2019 20 so kind of the current season but uh, as we look ahead it, it it technically is the past season so anyway james Harden's number one he was number one for both of us uh anthony davis was was number two he was also number two for both of us um, and then we got into some disagreements, you know, Steph Curry was not number three or four for either of us. And yet he averaged out as the third best player. We both actually had him at five overall, but we differed on guys like Giannis, Carl Towns, Jokic, uh, Damian Lillard was in your top five. He wasn't, uh, in mine. So who, who of these like, you know, top 10, top 12 guys, uh, do you want to make a case for that, that I maybe had too high or too low? Um, I mean, I think, I think just having, I guess I'll start with Towns because I had him third and you had him eighth, um, which isn't like a huge difference. But um, I guess my argument for Towns is he Towns is he was the third overall fantasy player on a per game basis this season. I guess we I guess we're saying this season. Yeah. Um, I think I don't really anticipate the Wolves um, getting too much more help around D'Angelo Russell and Towns, and I can still envision Towns. Averaging basically, well, yeah, 27, 11, and four, um, like he did this season. I, I mean, maybe his efficiency wanes a little bit, but he, in my opinion, he's still. I mean, he's one of the most talented offensive players in the league. Um, he's gets you a lot of free throw percentage from the center spot. I really just don't envision his his production going down a ton. But there is a lot of you know, like it, also at the same time, if you drafted like Curry over him or you drafted Giannis over him, um, I, I couldn't. You know, I, I don't think that's like a huge mistake or anything like that. 
Yeah, I mean, the main thing for me with Towns was we just finally saw him deal with multiple fairly major injuries this year. I mean, he'd only missed five games in his first four seasons, and all five of those came last year. So, like, the big one of the big appeals with Towns, and like you mentioned, I mean, it's not like he's not a great player, but appeal was okay, he's gonna you can lock this guy in for 80 games, you know, and now that that illusion is kind of gone. Um, you, you kind of have to weigh that in. Like, I'd, you know, maybe maybe he'll jump back up and play 82 next year, and and you know, all of a sudden he's back to being a consensus top three guy. But I think there'll be a little bit of fluctuation in value for him, at least for this one season. Uh, and then, like you said, we we never really saw him play with D'Angelo Russell, and I, I think that'll go well. You know, those guys seem to like each other, but we didn't get to see how it works at all. So you know, you're coming off of in Towns's case, what's going to be a really long layoff. You know, having not really played it all with this guy that your team went went out of its way to go and get for you. So there's going to be this this kind of delayed growing process, I guess, which for me is kind of another wild card. Sure. Yeah. Um, um, how about you? Who, who's someone on my list that you have a disagreement with at the top? Yeah, I had Lillard quite a bit lower. I, I wouldn't say I necessarily disagree um, because he is, you know, he is awesome. I had him at 10, you had him at four, and that's about as big of a difference as you're going to see, you know, this early in drafts. So, so you had him, you know, ahead of Steph Curry, uh, ahead of Luka Doncic, ahead of Giannis, ahead of Trey Young, ahead of Jokic. Those are all guys that I had ahead of Lillard, and I even had LeBron ahead of Lillard as well. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily low on him. I'm more curious as to like why you would rank him above those guys. Uh, he was well, he was fifth this year per game. Like mm-hmm. best season of his career, in my opinion. I don't, I don't even know if that's an argument. I, I mean, I, I think just from no. a, I mean, from a fantasy perspective, it basically was. He averaged twenty nine a game, eight assists, um, remained efficient. I just like really uh, his consistency throughout. I guess basically the past what like five years has been incredible, um, mm-hmm. and he's developed as a passer. And you know, I think the argument is there. It's like well, Nurkic. You know, uh, Nurkic wasn't there that created issues, but I mean, it's not like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't think the difference in usage for Lillard uh, compared to having Nurkic or Whiteside would be that dramatic. I, I think Nurkic would u- would use a little more usage, but I, basically I just valued the consistency of Damian Lillard plus the fact that I think he basically is in his prime right now mm-hmm. um, over some of the questions I, I have about, you know, Steph Curry's coming back from the injury um Giannis's free throw percentage is still alarming I don't know if that's going to change you have Doncic whose efficiency still isn't amazing um and yeah I mean Jokic Jokic is good but I'm just I continue to be worried about like his conditioning yeah it's, it's ironic with Jokic and part of the reason that I ranked him as high as I did is you know despite the clearly shaky conditioning like he hasn't missed a game this year you know like it 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 does seem like he's kind of a ticking time bomb in some ways, health wise, you know, not only with the weight, but just like the way he moves and runs, like it just doesn't, you know, it's just, it's hard to imagine him like doing that at age 34 and we'll look back and be like, wow, I can't believe this guy's never been hurt. You know, like it's just such like a lumbering way of playing that you, you'd think eventually, you know, whether it's an ankle or a knee or a hip or something, it just doesn't look like it should. And maybe he's just this, this complete freak athlete who doesn't abide by the same rules as, as normal people. But uh, I, I do kind of feel that, uh, the same way. I, I think something to mention with Lillard is that like part of the reason that he's going to rank so high this year is guys like, you know, Durant and Curry aren't playing. So you can make the argument that maybe he'd be down a few more spots if some of these superstars, um, you know, were healthy this year. But I mean, c- comparing him to even like Curry's peak seasons, like they're not that much different, you know, even in terms of like the three point volume, like Lillard took 10 threes a game 
this year and and hit him at a 39% clip. So, you know, Steph usually gets into the low 40s, which which is kind of another level of just insane efficiency for that volume. But like Lillard's stats other than that are basically replicating what Curry does. And and this year, you know, he was up up closer to eight assists per game. Uh, and, and Curry's only reached that level once. And that was back in 2013-14. So, you know, there is an argument that even if Steph comes back strong, like him and Lillard are, are essentially kind of the same player right now for fantasy purposes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and Lillard's been healthy basically his entire career. Yep. And Steph is coming off, you know, some pretty significant like injury seasons. You know, over the past mm-hmm. three seasons, he's played 125 games. Uh, right. And so that's that's far from ideal. Yeah, I, I'm willing to write off this latest injury just because it was, you know, he got his hand like rolled on. You know, he's never right. had hand issues in the past. Like this, this one truly was a freak injury. But you know, ever since he's he's kind of surmounted the early career ankle stuff, it's been it's been almost like Anthony Davis like, where like none, none of the all these like little ticky tag injuries keep adding up. And you know, like I'm not worried about Steph's hand going forward. But you know, when you have like minor minor injuries to like seven different body parts, you know, at some point you just kind of hold that that injury prone label permanently. Um, looking down uh, a little bit further, we, we disagreed on John Collins quite a bit, right. who, who's had a nice year this year. Um, you know, obviously missed all that time early on. So that's kind of killed his value when you look at full season, but in terms of per game, he's been really good. I had him at 16 overall, which, which I'll admit is pretty high and you had him at 27. So not, not an extreme difference, but you know, a difference of basically a full round. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I think this is the I think this is the lowest I would have Collins. If anything, I'd be moving him up. I don't think 16 is actually that high, but I think some other guys in the league have made strides. You also have Durant and Curry back in the fold to push him down. But I think for me, I'm just a little concerned. And you know, I mean, maybe I overreacted, but I'm not really sure how this Clint Capella, John Collins uh, front court is going to mesh. Uh, um, you know, Collins gets a ton of his uh, a ton of his fantasy value off of rebounds. And, you know, because he averages, I think, a little over 10 a game. Yeah, this season, 10 rebounds a game. And he's not, he, he's, he, he's developed a little bit into a three-point shooter, taking three and a half a game, hitting 4%, uh, 40%, which is nice. But I'm a little concerned, you know, if Capella's in the fold, maybe Collins only scores 18 a game, maybe he only gets eight rebounds a game. And if he's someone who basically goes 18 and eight, uh, um, and then isn't around the rim as much to do shot blocking, then is his fancy value, I think could take a significant hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want I want to ask you about a few guys who we didn't necessarily disagree on, but were just at least for me kind of difficult guys to rank. And I think the first and most obvious one is Kevin Durant, who we were on the same page with. I had him at 13, you had him at 11 for an average of 12, uh, and he ended up being our 13th overall player based on the average. Um, to me, this seems low. Like I, I mean, I, I obviously ranked him lower than you, so this shouldn't be a surprise, but. I, I wouldn't have been shocked if you had him at, at five or six. And, you know, I know it's an Achilles. I know very few guys have, have come back from that and been the same player. But, I mean, Durant was so, so good at his peak that I feel like even if we get 90% of Kevin Durant, there's a decent chance that if some of these guys ahead of him, you know, get get hurt for 10 or 15 games and Durant stays relatively healthy, that it wouldn't be shocking to me if he finished as like a top five or a top eight guy uh, in total value by the end of the year. No, um, that, that wouldn't be shocking. I mean, I'm basically predicting him for his worst. I, I, I mean, I, I mostly looked at this from a per game season, uh, per game perspective, but there's always the argument that, you know, he's going to stick up back to backs potentially with the Achilles, um, extra rest, et cetera. But 
I, I, I'm just basically banking on him having his worst per game season, not counting his rookie year. He was 60th during his rookie year. Um, last year, or excuse me, 2018-19 was actually his worst fantasy season two years ago. Uh, he ranked eighth. So I'm, I'm predicting him to have a little bit of a worse season than that, but really not like that much, not that much worse. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, I'm just like more optimistic about him than anyone else. You know, like he, I, I want to say like him and Rudy Gay were basically the same age at, at the time of their injuries, and Gay might have even been younger when he had a torn Achilles. And I remember thinking like, well, that's it for Rudy Gay. And I mean, Durant's 30, and I, I don't feel that way at all, right? Like you would, you kind of see, uh, you know, you see these videos videos of him that have been trickling out over the last couple of months, and I mean, it, it's easy to look good, I guess, when you're when you're in a gym by yourself going through drills, but. I mean, he certainly didn't look like somebody who was who was overly hampered. And I think maybe some of it, too, is like, you know, I a lot of people don't know this, but I'm not a doctor. But that that injury didn't look that bad. You know, like we didn't see him like rolling around in pain. That wasn't the last image of Kevin Durant. You know, it was him like because remember how much time there was before we actually found out it was a torn Achilles. You know, he had had all these calf issues and it was like it was a while before we actually confirmed that it was torn. Whereas like I remember when Brandon Jennings tore his Achilles you knew right away. Like you could just tell by the way he was walking and the way it snapped and same with Kobe. Like, like I, I do wonder if, if Durant's injury, you know, I, I'm bordering into like dangerous speculative territory here, but like, as far as Achilles tears go, like, I guess just the way it looked like, wasn't all that bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's possible. And like, he's, I, I guess, yeah, that's a good point about Rudy Gay. Um, I think I, you know, I think I have more confidence in Durant cause he's an elite shooter. He's one of the best sh- like pure right. shooters of all time. And so even if he, even if he cuts down on the drives, uh, you know, to the rim, if he cuts down on the, you know, crossover pull up mid rangers that he can still be absolutely deadly. If you had him just shoot, Mm -hmm. you know, 20% more spot up three pointers, um, essentially, you know, he's, he doesn't really take that many corner threes. Maybe, maybe put him there every once in a while, um, try getting rhythm, but I still think he'll be, I, I still think he'll be amazing. Mm-hmm. So what about LeBron? Uh, we, we've we've discussed you know his fantasy value um, the last couple of weeks in regard to you know our fantasy awards and first team All NBA and whatnot. You know obviously he was coming off of the worst fantasy season of his career last year, and that was due almost entirely to the fact that he missed so many games. But he's come back, and even even as he continues to struggle, you know as a three point shooter, um, I mean he's he's been a solid first round value by all accounts, and. You know, with LeBron, as we continue to get up there in age, at some point the regression is going to hit. But you know, the the way that he's played this year, he certainly has not looked affected whatsoever by the injury. Last year, he hasn't looked affected by age. I think he's playing harder than he has in like five years, especially on the defensive end. Uh, and on offense, you know, we're still seeing him do what he's always done in controlling the pace. You know, and and if he's going to throw it ahead, it's going to be a long pass to somebody. He's he's not running 94 feet back and forth. You know, like he was 10, 15 years ago. Um, you know, he's still kind of able to manage his workload. And I almost feel like he's doing it more on offense than defense this year, kind of acting as a distributor, as opposed to the guy who has to go and get buckets every single possession. So I'm pretty encouraged that what he's done this year is, is replicable for at least another year. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I don't think he'll ever have like a, a true, like big drop off. You know, I think, I think what uh, I expect LeBron's, you know, fantasy value basically until he retires it just kind of slowly creep down um I, I don't think he'll he'll have that step up but yeah i mean leaving the league and assist at 34 35 years old um obviously incredible uh, especially as a forward 
I, I right. just have him this low at at ten, um, and you know because of his his free throw shooting, which is horrible. Right. I mean, and I think you do have to price you have to price in the like ten percent chance that, or maybe not even ten percent, five percent chance that next year it just falls apart for him, you know, age wise. Because even though he's LeBron James and he's defied every other you know kind of age related uh, regression that that guys go through. At some point, it's going to happen. You know, like I just can't imagine that we're going to be sitting here in like three years and he's still putting up like 25, 10, and 8. Right. I mean, but at the same time, it wouldn't be that shocking. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, I mean, he's he's just an anomaly across the board. But I, I, you know, I mean, he would be, I think he would easily be the number two player in fantasy if he actually was like an 85% free throw shooter. I mean, he'd probably he be was better than like Harden in fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, not, I think we talked, we talked a lot about Giannis' Harden. struggles, but he's in the same boat. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, there's always a chance he improves it, but I mean, over the past four seasons, he's at, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just a little over 69%, which is not good at all. And so unless, you know, I mean, his career high is 78, and I highly doubt he'll get back up to that mark again. That was in <laughs> that was in 2009, so... So you you mentioned that you don't think he'll ever truly slow down. I, I tend to agree with you in that I don't think he'll ever, you know, just be like, all right, I'm a role player now, and that's how it is. You know, I, I think he's wired to, like, if he's on the court, everything has to run through him. That's how it's been his entire career. I mean, do, do you think it, it eventually is going to take, like, a Kobe-like injury where it's just such a devastating thing that, you know, it, it almost forces him to to adjust the way he plays. Like barring that, I don't, I don't see him like voluntarily stepping back until his body truly forces him to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think eventually there'll be a season where he just can't, there's just something he's trying to do that like he's done his whole career that like he really can't. Maybe it's just getting to the rim and finishing, yep. um, you know, over people, uh, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's just playing defense as a wing, you know, maybe he just can't do that anymore. Maybe he has to play like, you know, basically defense and the league is actually trending in a way that it's going to help LeBron defensively probably for the rest of his career, because he might actually be able to guard centers and, and power forwards for, you know, huge stretches of games, you know, over the next three years or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think for him, it would just be so age related that you know oh i can't get to the rim anymore okay i'll i'll, I'll and he's he's been posting up a lot more now and i think that's part yep. of it okay i'll just post up more okay i can't really drive past guys uh guys are quicker than me okay I'll, every three i take is going to be from 28 feet you know i'm not taking free you know three pointers at the line anymore i'm gonna make guys come out to me um stuff like that yeah that's an interesting point that he he will age better defensively which you know based on how his his arc has gone over the last like five or six years, you'd, you'd think it'd be the other way around. But um, I guess we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. He ranks 28th in the league this year in, in total dunks, by the way, 76, which I, I would have to do some more digging as far as how that compares to his like career averages. But that still feels pretty good. I mean, he has more dunks this season than Porzingis, more dunks than DeAndre Ayton, um, right around the same amount as guys like, uh, Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon, um, you know, not not that many fewer than even someone like Andre Drummond. So, I mean, athleticism wise, if you watch LeBron, I don't think he's necessarily fallen off, but there are there are subtle things. You know, there's not there's not as many blow bys. There's more like powering through guys as opposed to blowing by them. Yeah, this season I'm on his basketball reference page. This is his fewest dunks of his career. Although we have to keep in mind it's 60 games. Right. Uh, his most dunks was actually 2016-17. 
mm-hmm. with Cleveland. He had 145 in 74 games. So basically double um, from like, you know, or he's dunking half as much roughly compared to like four years ago. Um, but I think that, I mean, that kind of passes the eye test for me. I feel like I see it do him a lot more, you know, uh, they're not circus layups, but right. Or, or he, it looks like he's going to rise up for some, you know, some sky finish over people, but then he ends up just like going with a underhand yeah. scoop layup or something. Right. And this is, this is something that now that we're down this rabbit hole, I have to bring up is, <laughs> is inter- it's really interesting to track. I think maybe the best way to look at it, given the shortened season is like percentage of field goal attempts. And this year, 6.6% of his field goal attempts have been dunks and his previous career low, um, came his third season in the league when he was like at his absolute peak athleticism wise, you know, only 60 or 6.5% at that point of his, uh, of his field goal attempts were dunks. Of course he was taking more field goals. So he had more total dunks, but even his first year in Miami, he was on pace for roughly the same number of dunks. He had 88 dunks. Oh, excuse me. He had 98 dunks in 79 games. And this year he has, you know, 76 in 60. So similar type of pace and an almost identical in terms of the percentage of the field goal attempts. So it, it kind of it kind of comes and goes, you know. I think it, part of it just depends on like the offensive system that he's in. It's, you know, he's not not fast breaking quite as much, or at least not being on the receiving end of fast breaks. I think he's been maybe more the initiator. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking like, I mean, I guess a metric that's held up well is his and ones. He has 62 and ones this season. Um, you know, he had 59 in 2014-15. He had 53 in 2012-13. So he is 60, he's still 62 is an contact. insane number. Yeah, I know, like over one a game. Crazy. All right, well, let's get out of the LeBron hole. Uh, Paul George is another <laughs> one. We we agreed on Paul George, much like Durant. Uh, I had him at 15, you had him at 14. I mean, this was a guy that last year was like top three for part of the year and, and kind of finished slowly with the shoulder injuries. But, I mean, it seems like forever ago that he was, he was second in MVP voting, you know, less than a year ago. And the injuries have just slowed him so much this year, but... You know, if I was doing a draft for next year right now, I would, I would just have a really hard time, you know, taking someone like even John Collins or like Devin Booker or Jason Tatum over over a guy in Paul George who just has the track record. Yeah, I mean, he's I mean, he's basically reverted to like his Indiana Pacers kind of production. Um, you know, his steals are down almost in a full steal. He's taking 16 shots per game. Um, that's his lowest since 2012 13 uh if you discount the year that he played only six games uh and so i mean i think you know having Kawhi leonard he just doesn't have to do as much um same with like he has lou williams around i mean he paul george if he needs to be or if he can be can be like a third or fourth offensive option on some nights behind Kawhi, lou williams montrez harrell like he's he has the ability now to take nights off, I and mean, he really didn't in OKC. I mean, it was him and Westbrook, and really it was very clearly Paul George, the best player on that on that OKC team with that version of Westbrook. So, you know, I I think I think he could have a little bit of a bounce back next year, considering he'll be he'll be removed from some injuries. But I'm not really banking on him being a top five fantasy player ever again. Yeah, and I think part of that is the depth is so strong at the top you know like the bar to get into the top five is is insane and I, I think even at his peak he would he would kind of be borderline that group so i mean if you can get him at you know somewhere between like 14 and 20 in drafts i think he could end up being a guy who bounces back and, and isn't like a top five guy but could very well be like a top eight or top nine guy and then you're still getting great value there yeah i mean i think you know it will be it'll be interesting to see how he gets drafted compared to like someone like brad beal 
who, you know, I don't know how Beal is going to, we both have him ranked 12 uh, over Paul George. And, but with John Wall back, not really sure how that's going to work. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think Paul George's ADP is going to be uh, kind of tough to judge. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be really difficult. And I think he's somebody that could end up swinging opinions, you know, if and when the season continues. You know, if he if he looks healthy and plays really well in the playoffs, you know, maybe that jacks his ADP back up. Um, but it, I mean, his stock compared to where it was at the end of last year is, is considerably lower. Uh, what did you what did you think about Andre Drummond when you were doing your rankings? I was a little bit higher on him. I had him at 21. You had him at 25. Uh, and he comes in at, at 21 overall, which which I think seems about right. But it's just really hard to to kind of consider all the roster machinations, you know, because when he when he got to Cleveland and all, all three of he Thompson and Nance were healthy, all of a sudden they're all playing like 25 minutes a game. And his numbers obviously are, are down quite a bit. And, you know, we never really got a full sense for what that was going to look like, because one of those three seemingly was always banged up until the season was suspended. And, you know, who knows if, if Tristan Thompson will even be back. I mean, Andre Drummond, you know, assuming he opts in, could could end up being traded somewhere next year. Like he's just a, to me is like there are so many different ways that next year could go for him. Yeah, and I completely agree. So, I mean, that that the placeholder, you know, that the ADP I have for him at 25 is basically a placeholder for me um, until we kind of figure out where he's going and what he's doing with his you know, with his contract, um, maybe the Cavs find a way to trade him. I, I just don't know. I mean, it, it, there are, like you mentioned, there are some scenarios where he could get traded somewhere or the Cavs move Tristan Thompson or something. There are scenarios where Andrew Drummond is the 10th best fantasy player, maybe even ninth, depending on where he goes. There's also a scenario where he's like the 35th best fantasy player. If, you know, if, if he stays on, Cleveland and they split minutes or if he goes somewhere where he's kind of relegated to like a pseudo backup role. Um, he has some of the highest variance in the league in terms of someone who is basically an all-star caliber player. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the numbers, absolutely an all-star caliber player and somebody who has right. proven time over time that he is, you know, very capable of putting up those numbers on a terrible team. So, you know, if he just sticks around Cleveland for another year and is just the best player on a 23-win team, that's fine for fantasy purposes. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think he really has much respect around the league. You know, what that extends to coaches and front offices. You know, like I, th- I think a team could acquire him and wouldn't feel obligated to play him 35 minutes a game. You know, we already saw that for the most part with Cleveland when he first got there. You know, I think he, like the production doesn't match his real value. So he could be traded somewhere and all of a sudden he's playing like 24 minutes a night because they feel like he's a liability in certain areas, you know? So I, I'm with you that he's, he's really tough to project, but I mean, if the number, if, if the, the minutes are there, he's almost a lock to be really, really, really productive. Um, and he's somebody too, that's not a great free throw shooter, but he's improved a ton over where he was three or four years ago. And, you know, he's just, he's just not like the complete liability where you essentially would have to punt that category like, like he was a while back. Yeah, he and uh, Hassan, uh, Hassan Whiteside are very similar, like, yes. uh, you know, in, in that respect. Yep. Uh, a couple other ones. Uh, Chris Paul is somebody who I, I would say I guess I struggled with, you know, the, the production this season and the consistency this season versus the lengthy injury history. Um, it, in some ways, this almost feels like this season for Chris Paul feels like Blake Griffin's season last year where he played 75 games. And everything was fine, you know, and then obviously he broke down, you know, in, in the first round of the playoffs, but 
all through the season, you're like, this is crazy. I can't believe he's finally staying healthy. And then cut to this season, you know, it's it's back to the same cycle. I hate to say it, but I could kind of I could kind of see that happening with Chris Paul next year. I agree with you. Um, I think I maybe do have him a little high at 28. Um, yeah, and I mean, he he's also older. His production could slip because of just age, uh, and that's a that's a concern. But yeah, guys like guys like Chris Paul, guys like Blake Griffin, there are other players in the league where you know you could uh, you, you you're never really sure where to. You're not always sure where to draft them because you know if you get them in some leagues, you know they're the they're the kind of guys where if you play in ten fantasy leagues, that you probably want Chris Paul in like two or three just in case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't want like a ton of exposure to to someone like that. But I I think I do have him a little high, but I think I I share your exact uh, sentiments on him. Okay, so two more who will kind of group together. Uh, what were your thought? What was your thought process with ranking Zion and Ja Morant? Zion was impossible. I think um, I struggled so much with him because this season, you know, he's not been like great. He's the hundred. He's the ninety seventh uh, fantasy player this season on a per game basis. His free throw percentage is insanely damaging. He's he's taking eight a game at sixty four percent. Basically, it's it's you know basically like basically like Giannis, and so. You know, I, I wanted to bake in some improvement because I do think he will get better. I'm kind of thanking him taking some steps defensively. He'll probably just get better all around, but I can't put him over. You know, there are certain guys I just can't put him over with a ton of confidence. Like I can't even really put him over Christian Wood. Like with con- like if you tell me Christian Wood's yeah. going to play 33 minutes a game, be the starting center for the Pistons, I I just can't I can't say for certain that. Zion Williamson is going to be a better fantasy player than him. I mean, maybe Zion gets better at free throws, but I, I don't know how much you bank on that. So you had Zion 62. I had him at 51. And I, I feel like we both like kind of hedged. Like, I don't, I, I think we could either be way low or way high on him. So I kind of picked in the middle. That was, I guess that was right. my strategy. Like I, I could totally see him being like a top 30 guy where he just comes back and, all of a sudden he's shooting 77% at the line and he's averaging a steal and a half a game. And he starts, he just kind of starts to get it on defense. And we look really stupid projecting him that low. But I, I think watch, watching him, like his, his real life value right now is so much higher than his fantasy value. And I, I don't know how many people actually realize that. Yeah. He's only averaging, he's averaging under seven rebounds a game. Obviously his field goal percentage is good. He's also getting you zero threes. Also important to remember that if you're playing in a league where threes matter, Zion is getting you zero three pointers and he's destroying your free throw percentage. So yeah, I, and not really even that good of a rebounder. So right. he's basically, he's giving you like LaMarcus Aldridge production. A worse, I mean, a worse arguably. I mean, it's just, yeah. you, when you start to, it's like, yeah, you watch him, you watch him, you see the stats he puts up on a daily basis, but then you actually pull up like his, his raw numbers and you're like, okay, he's kind of just a scorer. You know, it's it's he's a, such a weird anomalous player that it is really tough to project him. And as far as you know, as far as John Morant goes, um, he started off very low for me, and as I kept revising my list, kept climbing up and up. Um, and it was basically just like, what other point guard am I willing, or you know, where, uh, who am I willing to take him over? And basically, it came down to I am not sure I would take him over Shea Gilgis Alexander. Not sure I would take him over someone like Fred Van Vliet. Um, but I would for Jamal Murray at this point. And that's kind of where, or like Ricky Rubio. And that's just kind of where he fell at. He fell at 48 for me. 
he's such an interesting player too because the, the the field goal percentage is so high for a rookie that you know usually with a rookie point guard you can see a big leap between year one and year two and for him like where does that leap come you know maybe it's on the defensive end where he you know was he was good but not great and obviously pretty slight body wise maybe it's at the free throw line where he shot 77 percent but like he doesn't have a whole lot of room to improve from two point range or from three point range, you know, I mean, he, he shot 49% from the field and 37% from three. And this is a guy with, who had a pretty questionable jump shot. If there, if there was a hole in his game, it was that we didn't really know how that kind of set three point shot would translate. And he's, you know, maybe, maybe he increases the volume. I guess that's maybe the biggest thing he can do. He's, he's only taking 2.4 threes per game, which in the modern NBA for a high usage point guard is really low. Um, so maybe if he just doubles his attempts, you know, that, that goes a long way, but in terms of field goal percentage, like I, I don't, th- I don't think we're going to see him come back and shoot like 52% from the field next year. Like I, I think he might already be like kind of capped out on that, especially if he starts taking more threes. Yeah, I think for him, you know, I think for him, it it, it does have to come down to shooting more threes, um, improving his defense a little bit in terms of steals. But I think I think the real point of development for him in terms of you know the the two point percentage, the field goal percentage is just uh, you know converting better at the rim. He draws a lot of he draws a solid amount of fouls. I mean, he's at you know four and a half attempts per game as a rookie in 30 minutes, which is pretty good for a, a point guard who's who's that slight. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, I think it's just finishing at the rim, finishing through contact is just going to be his next step. And it's hard to project him to do that a ton better when he's currently still listed at six three, 175 pounds. Uh, um, yeah. So he doesn't look I, like he's gained any weight since Murray stayed. No, he's got that like Brandon Jennings body. Um, but I got that BJB. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he just, you know, you watch him, um, a hundred percent passes the eye test as a point guard. Um, he makes some incredible passes that you can't believe, um, can get hot scoring. So I, I just yeah. have a ton of faith in him in general. I tweeted this a while back when he was first going on his like major highlight barnstorming tour early on. And like, I, th- I don't know how I phrased it exactly, but the, the gist of the tweet was basically if this was 2006, uh, he would be number one on the list of like NBA players who would have a full rap song made about them. <laughs> you don't see that as much anymore, but you know, like do the John Wall stuff like that. Like there, there absolutely would be a John Morant song already. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so you touched briefly on Fred Van Vliet, who is somebody that we differed on quite a bit. I had him at 34. You had him at 50. He ended up landing 43rd overall in the rankings. I I cannot believe that he's this good. I still refuse to believe that. Um, but he's going to be a free agent this summer. And I know he wants to re-sign with Toronto, but we'll see how that whole situation shakes out. I think there's a decent chance that that happens. Uh, but like if he lands somewhere where he can really be like a bona fide number one or number two option, probably number two, uh, maybe on a bad team somewhere, you know, like I, I think he could have even more room to grow. I mean, he averaged like 18, six and a half assists. This year, just under two steals, played 36 minutes per game. Um, you know, he was one of the guys that was able to stay mostly healthy for a team that that seemed to be constantly banged up in the backcourt. So he he benefited a lot from those injuries. But I, I think there he has maybe a chance to go up like one more like half level. You know, if he goes somewhere where he can really be handed the keys to a team. Yeah, I think I do. I think this is the lowest I would have him. I don't really envision myself moving him farther down. I mean, there's always a scenario where. You know, the amount of guys consistently playing 36 minutes a game is pretty low these days. He's one of them. Uh, you kind of mentioned the injuries. I and mean, there are a lot of games where, like, he or Lowry will play, like, 40 minutes. And there's just, like, not a lot of teams that would do that. 
um, to him. But yeah, I mean, because you know, uh, he's made good improvements as a passer. You know, I was, I guess, you know, kind of looking at his basketball reference page now. You know, there's always the argument that like, oh, you know, his steals could go down because last year he only averaged 0.9 steals in 27 minutes, and now he's up to he's up a full steal. Uh, you know, and that like steal rate can like really kill guys' fantasy value. Like Victor Oladipo, he had an amazing you know season where he basically led the league in steals, and then his the steal rate kind of fell off and it tanked his fantasy value. But now that I'm looking at his pro 100 possession numbers, it actually seems like the 2018-19 season was the fluke uh, where he was just down in steals. So mm-hmm. I think we're kind of walking through this. I think I do need to I, I do need to put him higher, but it will be interesting to see where he goes in in free agency. What about Jonathan Isaac, who I had at 28, you had at 63. One of the biggest differences throughout these entire rankings. Um, I mean, obviously, he's coming off of the knee injury. Uh, by all accounts, he should be good to go by the start of next year. They they all, they ended up calling it a sprained knee. So, I mean, it looked like almost for sure a torn ACL based on the look of the injury, but I apparently ended up avoiding that. But, it, you know, I, I think it was about as serious of a sprain as it gets without a full tear. So still a major injury. Um, he was a guy who averaged, you know, 4.0 steals plus blocks per game this past season, uh, was a top 35 player in terms of per game value. Uh, and of course had the injury, uh, in early January that ended the season. Are, are you just a little bit, you know, skeptical that he'll come back and then be the same guy? A little bit. I mean, I do think I have him low, but yeah, I mean, um, I have almost zero confidence in his offensive game. Um, that doesn't help his injury history. Not good. Played only 27 games during his rookie year. This season played about half the available games. Um, obviously, like, you know, basically all of his value is coming from, he's, he's a good rebounder, but all of his value is coming from his steal and block numbers. And if those even take a moderate dip down, I think that's going to, that could crash his fantasy value because I don't really see him doing much from three. Uh, I don't think he's going to expand as a scorer very much. So, you know, if those numbers drop to, if he's still getting 30 minutes a game, but he's only, 1.3 steals instead of 1.6 and he's 1.9 blocks instead of 2.4, which mm-hmm. I are still amazing numbers, but I think both possible regression that, um, I just don't want to, I don't want to draft him at the top of his value. Um, I feel like his, I, I don't feel like his ceiling is much higher than it was last season, unless he truly develops as a scorer, which again, I don't really believe in, but, uh, um, I just hate, this is, this is just another situation where I hate relying on guys who, um, who are really heavy in their steal and block numbers and also guys with injury histories like this are, it's not ideal. Hey, that's all fair. Uh, I think that was a, a solid argument for, for keeping him a little bit lower. Anyone that you want to point out anywhere in the rankings who, who you either had kind of trouble with, went back and forth on somebody you think I overvalued, undervalued. Uh, scanning through here real quick. Um, yeah, we. I was, I was checking Middleton. Oh, Clay Thompson. Um, did we touch on him? No, not yet. Yeah, I mean, I think he, that was just someone kind of hard to rank. But then I, I just kind of looked at his, you know, his his um, his history, and it was like he's kind of been like a 40th ranked player most of his time. I just kind of threw him in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's gonna play worse because of the ACL, or if he's gonna play better because their team is like potentially not that good anymore. I want to say not that good, but like Durant's not there anymore. So they're just going to run more through Clay Thompson, stuff like that. Um, Robert Covington wasn't someone that we really disagreed on, but someone I really considered putting much higher. I had him at, I think, I had him at 47, and I put I 
flirt with fucking him even higher than that because um i mean is that just someone where you think because you have him 61 do you mm-hmm. think that the threes and the, the the stock rate and potentially the rebounds are just kind of kind of regress because he you know we only got like a 15 game sample of him from houston so with covington it's for me it was all about will they actually play this way next year and i think there's enough right. risk uh with them you know maybe breaking up not not even the roster. I'm, I'm more concerned about the coaching staff. I, I think it almost seems like a foregone conclusion that, and we'll see what happens with the playoffs or you know how they end up formatting the stuff. But like if things don't go well for Houston, it almost seems like they're like ownership is just waiting for a reason to fire D'Antoni and Daryl Morey. And I, I wonder at that point, whoever comes in, do they want some semblance of a center on the roster? You would think. Uh, so to me, there's just a little bit of risk with with like will they just pick up next year like they've been playing these last 20 games? If so. I think you're totally justified to rank him higher. Uh, but to me, there's, there's enough of a chance that that doesn't happen that I think I had him at like 61. Um, so still, you know, still in the mix, but a little bit lower. And then one quick note on Thompson. Like I, I think I have him pretty high. Um, like I, I kind of went best case at 30th overall. Number one, if there's ever like anybody who suffered a torn ACL and seems like they'd come back and be totally fine, it's him. Like he just like, I don't know. Like he, he shot free throws after tearing his ACL, you know, like he's not somebody who, is super gangly and like you worry about, you know, just like things just snapping. Um, and he's also someone that doesn't rely on athleticism at all. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to come back and just automatically be himself right away, but he seems like the type of player, the the profile of somebody who could kind of move right through an injury like that and just kind of pick up. Um, and he's, he's also a guy who before this injury, like doesn't really miss games. So per game value wise, he only had one year when he was in the top 20, um, but then you look at like total value. I mean, he, he had a span of five straight years where he finished ninth, 19th, 29th, 41, 27, um, in, in overall eight category value. So if he comes back and plays 76 games next year, I, I think he has a pretty good chance to, to kind of hover right around number 30 overall. Um, and I guess the question, you know, ultimately is like, what does next season season even look like? Maybe that gives him more time to recover. That ultimately helps. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, I guess the schedule long-term, is something that I didn't really consider too much in these rankings. Did you? Uh, no, not really. Yeah, I kind of just assumed uh, it would be like a normal season. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to just rattle off three guys real quick that I had trouble with. I'm kind of wondering if you did too. Uh, the infamous Mitchell Robinson. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lori Markinen. Oh, yeah. And Thomas Bryant. Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, I, Robinson, I probably had the least amount of trouble with. I just kind of like looked up like, all right, where did he rank this year? Let's just kind of put him in that area. I don't know, man. Like if the minutes are there, he could climb super high just because of the the block rate and the, the field goal percentage is still really, really good. I just, we've seen now like multiple years of complete mismanagement and prioritization of 35 year olds over him. Um, so it's just, just really difficult to kind of trust what that role is going to be. Um, as far as the other guys, like Thomas Bryant, kind of in the same situation this year where like he was really good early on, got hurt and then was just under this like unspoken minutes limit where he multiple times he had said like to the media, like I have no idea what the deal is here. Like I'm healthy <laughs> and yet I'm on this restriction, but nobody knows what the restriction actually is. He play, he would play like 17 minutes, 14 minutes, 18 minutes, 31 minutes back down to 14 minutes. Like it was just totally unclear. Uh, and then Markkanen, I think of, of the three, like Markkanen is the biggest question mark, right? Like he was not great when healthy this year and then got hurt again. And, you know, he's already looking like someone who now has this kind of troublesome early injury history. Yeah. I mean, I, 
yeah, you're you're definitely spot on with Mick Robinson and Thomas Bryant and Markin and dude. I I mean I I I think he I'm worried he just wasn't right. I think he maybe just wasn't healthy all year. Um, yeah. And it's it's kind of hard to, like, understand what's going on in Chicago. Same with New York. Same with Washington. Um, and so, I mean, I'm, I'm still really high in Markkinen. Like, it would not shock me if he was a, a top 40 player next year. Because um, he, last year, or two years ago, however you want to phrase it, his sophomore year, he averaged 19-9 and nine and looked very good. Like, he looked like he would kind of be this sort of, you know, Danilo Gallinari mixed with Kevin Love, like modern Kevin Love sort of a guy, just the scoring, rebounding forward. And um, I still think that potential is there, but he also has, yeah, the injuries themselves are becoming a concern. Um, so that was that was really tough as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to scan through and see if there's anyone else we can hit on um, before we hop out of here. I mean, Draymond was a little bit tough. This was just such a weird lost year for him. Like, I was shocked that he played 43 games. feels like we haven't seen him in forever. Um, I, I, I tend to think that he'll obviously be better next year, but I think his best days are certainly behind him. Um, I mean, he's, he's kind of like, I guess he's, he'll, he'll probably, when we write the bounce back guys article in like, who knows how many months now, six months, I, he's going to be on there. Um, yeah. I mean, I was really high on him coming into this year. I, I thought he would kind of take everything in stride and it would be him and him and Curry versus everybody. And he would go hard and it kind of went the complete opposite way. Uh, so he's, he's kind of an interesting guy to rank. Um, I thought it was funny that we were both right on the same page with Devonte Graham. You know, I had him at 60, you had him at 58. I, I think we all just are like, yeah, he was really good this year, but probably won't get a whole lot better. Yeah. I mean, that was, I, he, he needs to just develop as like a, a non three point shooter. Like he right. just chucks threes and he's a good passer, but um, I, beyond that, well, hopefully he can develop beyond that, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Charlotte's a tough team to, to try to deal with in fantasy. So ironically, despite despite both of us ranking these guys like much differently, we were 20 plus spots apart on each of them, and we were close to 40 spots apart on one of them. Uh, number 81 and 82 in our rankings are Marvin Bagley and Rashawn Holmes. <laughs> yeah, dude, I think well, Marvin uh, Rashawn Holmes is without question a better fantasy player than Marvin Bagley. Um, right, Rashawn he's Holmes, in the Mitchell Robinson zone though. He is. He is in the Mitchell Robinson zone. Um, yeah, I, Rashawn Holmes, I think he was a top 45 fantasy player this year on a per-game basis. If 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 Sacramento gives Rashawn Holmes the starting center spot, I will draft Rashawn Holmes top 50. But I just don't know uh, um, because it doesn't seem like any team is willing to give that role to Rashawn Holmes. Um, and Bagley was tough as well because, again, injuries. Um, but also, I mean, he just didn't look good this year. But I think he was he was just dealing with an injury almost all year. He's playing through a foot injury at yep. points. Um, I still have faith in him, but it's hard to know because the only real sample we have of him is his rookie season when he played 62 games and started four. So right. I just didn't really know what to do with him. So I kind of threw him in that in that spot. Okay, last thing: you did not have both Joe Ingles or Mike Conley in your <laughs> rankings. Are you you're just that down on both of those guys? That was. That was mostly a mistake, but like the amount of times that I read through my list and just apparently forgot them is not a good sign. Yeah, that says a lot. Um, I it does say a lot. I'll probably add them in if we do another top fifty. But I mean, they're you know Conley like he was awful, like unbearably bad uh, for most of the season. He started to actually get better, and then the season got suspended. 
Um, and then as far as Ingles goes, anytime you know Conley was healthy, Ingles was averaging like six points a game. Um, was just like horrible. Um, not really somebody who would start in fantasy at all. And so I don't really know what to make of them together anymore because Conley's going to be another year older. And like maybe he'll gel with the team more. Um, also, maybe not. And maybe he'll be bad again. And then that'll just kind of be it for his career. Uh, and then Ingles. Ingles is sneaky kind of old. Um, thirty. He's going to be 33 next year. Mm. Um, so I don't. I think I think he's I think both of those guys will be I'm hoping they'll be fantasy viable. But this year was not it was really discouraging for either of them. And I can understand people who would be willing to take a chance. You know, if you just rather take a chance on like Kendrick Nunn or like Luke Kennard popping off or, yeah. you know, someone like Rui Hachimura, like I would get it. Uh, last, last thing. What about Hassan Whiteside? We were uh, we were separated by 26 spots on him. Uh, I had him 50. You had him at 24. You know, your evaluation is much closer to the guy that he's been this year. I'm I'm just a little bit, uh, I'm very skeptical, I should say, that he's going to have the same level of opportunity next year, whether it's in Portland or somewhere else. And if he stays in Portland, almost certainly he won't. Um, I mean, are, are you th- are you thinking it's worth it? And obviously we'll know more by the time we draft. But you know, like based on what we what we know right now, like are you are you thinking there's a pretty good chance that he showed enough this year to sign elsewhere, even if it's some you know bad team that just needs a center that he can just go kind of replicate this in another city? That's my thought. I mean, I, I initially started with him actually closer to your rank um, and then just kind of kept moving him up as I thought, like, someone has to like there's got to be some team that thinks that like they might as well give it a shot. Right. Like, I know mm-hmm. I know that's like the ultimate like uh, Hassan Whiteside. Like, I guess we'll I guess we'll sign Hassan like Sacramento or I don't even know who else, you know, like maybe like Detroit. That'd be like a classic Detroit move where they're like, we know we have Christian Wood, but we can also get Whiteside. Um, that sort of a thing. You know, he could be the king of New York, potentially. Um, you know, and they just get rid of Mitchell Robinson and anger their fans even more. Charlotte. Like, there, there are certain teams. I actually would love him on Charlotte now that I'm saying yeah, that. Don't it, uh, he seems like he's all, it's like him, his entire life has been trending towards, like, starting center for the Hornets in 2020. <laughs> that Terry Rozier. He would be a great Nick. Like in terms of working the crowd, yeah. Oh yeah, it's honestly no a question. huge shame that he hasn't been a part of these last like ten Knicks teams. He would have been a perfect fit on literally any of them. <laughs> I agree entirely, but uh, yeah, it, it'll really depend on free agency. But I'm banking on some team just saying like we we just need a center, and the upside with him is is so good that we're just gonna do it. We're gonna give him thirty minutes. All right, man. We went like twice as long as I expected, as usual. We, we always look and say like, man, hopefully we can get to a half hour. And here we are going way, way over that. Uh, but this is a great discussion. And honestly, we have probably like 30 more guys we could really delve into if we wanted. And, and maybe we'll do that later this week. We'll have a couple more pods coming, um, you know, as, as lockdown continues. But appreciate you taking time out of the afternoon to do this. Yeah, thanks, man.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.